Well, good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, depending on where you are in the world and what time it is when you're tuning in. In Herzegovina, that's right. I've been looking at the show stats and I've seen those two downloads in the Adriatic. All of our friends in Herzegovina know that this is the best podcast for group healthcare practices. We rank number one in the entire Adriatic. How about that? This is Perrin Desports. I'm your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast from Polaris Healthcare Partners. If you're an entrepreneurial dentist or other healthcare provider and you're interested in building a successful group practice, you found your primary resource for some of the industry's best business education. My partner, DeWalker Sinha, and I have decades of experience helping people just like you launch, scale, and ultimately exit successful group practices. In short, we create clarity, confidence, and results. Well, welcome everybody to season two, episode 43 of the Group Practice Accelerator podcast, one we're going to call Understanding Leverage, specifically using debt. This will be part one of a two-part podcast that I think you're going to like. I think it's going to be note-taking episode worthiness. So get your pad and pen ready, brew a cup of coffee or maybe two. This one you might want to go back and even listen to. Get ready. The Group Practice Accelerator podcast is on the air. Thanks, everybody, for joining me once again on the show today. This is Perrin Desports. I am your host for the Group Practice Accelerator podcast. And as I teased in the intro, uh, this is going to be sort of a two-part podcast. Um, And the reason I decided to break it up into two parts um, is because I think this is going to be a little bit meaty. And I think this may be one you want to go back and listen to a second time. Um, I I try to say that with as much humility as I can possibly muster, but uh, I was putting some thoughts together for this one. And as I started stringing it together, it it was going to end up being kind of long if we did it all in one, which is the reason we're going to break it up into two. And the other thing is, I think these topics are timely and they're going to be a little bit challenging to describe over audio. Many of you uh, listen to the show uh, on the way to and from the office, you know, in between patients trying to eat a sandwich for lunch in a hurry, on the treadmill, something like that. That's all fine uh, for this episode. Carry on, so to speak. But um, it may be something that when you get to a point of, of sort of being able to to sit down and and honestly grab a pad and pen. Uh, you might want to take some notes on this one. Again, I say that with all humility. I think these are going to be two important concepts that you want to spend a little bit of time thinking through. And I'm going to do my best to break them down over audio, just knowing that this stuff some sometimes plays out better in video or in presentation format. So I'll shut up on the preface piece of it. Now let's get into the meat. Um, leverage. Leverage is a, a word that gets thrown around a lot. Um, it's one that we kind of use haphazardly, um, but it's a it's a concept that um, every business owner needs to be intimately familiar with. Uh, you've heard leverage used in the context of you know moving a boulder with a stick type of leverage. Leverage is basically using one thing to generate an outcome from another. Um, 
we talk about operating leverage in businesses. That's, you know, being able to grow the profitability at a faster rate than sales through more efficient delivery of operational services. Um, we talk about debt leverage a lot. And debt leverage is borrowing money from a bank to buy assets or businesses or make investments in the business that yields greater outcome than the cost of the debt. So that's debt leverage. All right. So leverage is simply using one thing um, to generate a greater output from something else, just conceptually at a, at a broad level here. When we talk about debt leverage and, and using debt specifically, you hear us say that all of our target audience, all of you out there, um, all of uh, the people we work with, all of our clients um, are what's known as doctor founded and debt funded groups. What that means is that y'all are all entrepreneurs who happen to be dentists and you wanna build a multi-location group and you're all using bank funds to do it. Uh, put another way, we don't work with private equity backed groups. So all of our clients are pre-private equity. And the way that, that the nature of a group dental practice is one uh, that is all but impossible to bootstrap, meaning you can't generate just enough sheer profitability um, uh, to go out and, and buy an, another practice in an all cash type of transaction without using bank debt. You could do it. It would just take you a long time to do it. And all of our audience are people who want to grow their business quicker. And if they're going to grow their business quicker, it's more reasonable to use bank funds to do it than to try to generate enough profitability to do it. Okay. So you're all using bank funds to grow and bank funds are without a doubt, uh, the right instrument for that even in a rising rate environment. So I, I mentioned, you know, getting your banking house in order on the last podcast. And we spent a lot of time around this concept out in Denver and uh, for our conference, uh, scaling from clinician to CEO with uh, the Dental Success Institute. Um, and, and we've gotten a lot of inquiries, text, email, phone calls from people that want to talk about how to, you know, what should they do in a rising rate environment uh, relative to, to the cost of debt and everything like that. And let's just say, for argument's sake, that a lot of you out there are, are you know, working with a retail lender that you've been with for a while. And, and if you've had uh, a loan in place, it's probably at a very low rate, uh, 2%, 3%, something like that, you know, if it's been in place for a year or two. Uh, especially if you if you refinance anything during uh, COVID or coming out of the pandemic, rates were basically nothing. And where they're sitting right now may be as, as much as around 6% plus or minus. So double the cost of funds, right? And, and one of the first questions we get is, wait a minute, Perrin, you know, I've locked in this great rate um, with, a, uh, with my existing bank. Um, that I, I refinanced a year ago, I'm staring down a prepayment penalty and the rate on the the loan is 3%. Now you're saying that I need to, to pay the breakup fee on the prepayment penalty and I need to basically go into a, a structure that is double the cost of funds. That makes no sense. And at face value, it doesn't. Um, but face value, uh, I would say, is not what it all plays out to be. It really matters what you want to use the funds for. So this is where we start to take apart the concept of leverage and we dig a little bit deeper. So 
let's think about it this way. What are, what are you going to use the funds for? Well, if you're not going to grow your business, if you refinanced a year ago and you're just you want a lower rate, a more manageable monthly payment, and you're going to stand pat, meaning you're you're not going to add any practices in the coming year or two or three, um, then then you're right. Low cost of funds, probably the instrument you've got right now is the right call. That being said, if you read the Wall Street Journal or listen to um, any of the other economic trade uh, publications, the forecasts are that we're going to be in a recession in another 12 months. Um, how deep it is, how long it is, how severe it is. Nobody knows that right now, but there is, you know, <laughs> the Fed is working very hard to slow the economy down. Okay. So, so I think we're going to end up with a different economic climate than what we've been in the last 12 months in all facets. We've talked about on the show that the ADA has done a lot of work to talk, to, to describe the the looming exit of a number of senior clinicians in the next three to five years. And I believe their work is accurate. I think there are going to be a lot of practices um, that are, are, you know, there to be acquired from people selling their business and transitioning out of the profession. I also believe with some semblance of a recession, there are going to be others that, you know, are looking for a safe harbor or are going to, um, you know, want to sell their business and roll equity into a, a parent company or sell their business outright and stay on in a clinical capacity for a couple of years. So if you were planning on building a group practice, you need to, to assume that there is going to be there are going to be a lot of targets coming your way in the next 12 to 24 months. You need to prepare for that. And if your current lender is not going to give you the assurance, the commitment in writing that there is available capital for you to use to acquire practices, then the rate doesn't do you any good. What you are looking for is flexibility and a commitment to grow your business if you're looking to expand the footprint in the coming years. And most of our clients are growing through ex through acquisition in terms of expansion. And if that's the case, then you have to get the banking piece solved and committed now so that you can execute your growth strategy when those opportunities come up. That's the urgency now. Okay, that's that's why we are talking so much about this to try to get your banking house in order to prepare you for what the next 12 to 24 months is going to be. So if you are able to execute your growth strategy and I don't know if that's one practice per year acquired over the next five years or if it's two or three or whatever that looks like. But the reason you're going to do that is not just to expand the footprint of the practice. It's going it, it's it's because you want to grow the EBITDA of your core business as well as the acquired practices. You've heard us talk about valuation multiples and you've heard us say things like, you know, in, in our world, a solo practice is going to value somewhere between three to five times EBITDA. A group practice in our world is usually going to value at six times EBITDA or more. A rough rule of thumb on this, and this is not hard and fast, it's just simply a, a rough rule of thumb that if you can generate about a million dollars in EBITDA out of a group, it reliably that's going to be a six times EBITDA multiple. 
If you can get to 2 million, you get a turn on the multiple, which is to seven times. If you can get to 3 million, you get another turn on the multiple, which is eight times. That's not hard and fast. If you're going to exit the business, it's worth what the buyer will pay. I get all of that. All right. This is just rule of thumb. Solo practice, three to five X. A million is six X. Two million is seven X. Three million is eight X. All right. Rough rule of thumb. The reason you're going to grow the business is to add to the EBITDA volume and increase your valuation multiple, all right? If you're able to do that, you're creating a more valuable business and you're creating equity on balance sheet, which is what you should all be driving for. So let's pack the, let's unpack this a little bit more because we're gonna talk about equity in the next podcast. We're gonna talk about debt leverage here today. So. Let me just throw some round numbers that I think will be easy to follow on this. Let's say you're looking at buying a business that um, generates a million dollars in revenue, um, $200,000 in EBITDA, and we're going to value it at a four times EBITDA multiple. So a million dollars in revenue, 200000 in EBITDA, 4X is an $800,000 valuation. All right. Pretty simple, pretty straightforward, nothing too complicated about that. On a 10-year loan, $800,000 to buy that practice I just mentioned, on a 10-year loan, over the entire course of the loan, if you carried it to maturity, at 3% interest, you'd be paying about $127,000 in interest. All right? So $800,000 loan, 10-year term. 3% rate, about $127,000 in interest. That same $800,000 loan, 10-year term at 6% interest, twice the interest rate, 6% interest is about $266,000 worth of interest over that 10-year period. Let me put it a different way. It's about $140,000 difference in interest payments over a 10-year term, doubling the rate. $140,000 over a 10-year term. Would you rather have $140,000 versus not? Well, of course you would. But over a 10-year term, that's about 14 grand a year, just on straight averages. So now when we look at this on an annual basis, $14,000 a year to acquire that practice at $800,000 generating 200 grand in EBITDA. So scratch your head just a little bit here for a second, because 14 grand per year in interest is, is frankly not that much. So if it allowed you to increase the value of your business by acquiring that practice and, and seemingly paying an exorbitant interest rate to do it, do you think you could generate more than 14 grand a year in increase in equity on balance sheet? Well, if, if your business is valued at seven times on a multiple, just trying to keep this, the numbers around, 14 grand worth of interest in a seven times multiple, you're talking about $2,000 in EBITDA improvement. All right, that, that ain't a lot, <laughs> right? So when we start breaking down numbers into its bare essence and understanding what you're trying to solve for here, you're left with the question of why would you pay more pay double on an interest rate if you seemingly didn't have to, 
Well, if you don't have to, you shouldn't. But if the if the objective is to grow your business and a, and the bank with the lower rate is not going to allow you to do that with any certainty, reliability, or commitment, then why are you focused on the rate? What you need to be focused on is the commitment and the amount of capital that someone is that a bank is going to be willing to put forth to you to execute your growth strategy to grow your EBITDA and improve your equity on balance sheet. If you can execute your growth strategy, the value of the equity you create and the the volume of EBITDA that you create directly will far eclipse any incremental amount of interest payments you make on an annual basis. I know this is hard to follow verbally, and that's why I said if you're on the treadmill or in your car or in a hurry or something, listening to this, just kind of going through it once audibly, hopefully I'm giving you something that says maybe I need to go back and re-listen to this episode and probably even take down some notes because I'm trying to keep the, the numbers easy to follow here. But hopefully some of this is starting to connect the dots and have you make sense out of it. Really what you're looking for, to state the obvious, is not the rate. It's flexibility and a commitment to grow your business. Now, if you have that in place, it's up to you to execute on that growth strategy and the improvement in the core business, as well as the the practices that you acquire to generate greater volumes of EBITDA that yield more affordable debt payments and more equity on balance sheet. If you can do all that, you're creating a much more valuable business and and a and a much uh at an opportune time i would say too so if we're if we go back to this thing about a potential recession coming in 12 months um and where we're going to be in the next 12 months to 24 months maybe beyond that none of us can predict what the recession is going to look like is it going to be mild and quick is it going to be a soft landing to use the term of the fed is it going to be deep and long lasting none of us know any of that what we do know is that we have more opportunity to control what happens within the four walls of our business getting your house in order and preparing for opportunity is the most prudent thing you can do as we close out 2022 And central to this is the banking commitment you have to have to add the locations that will come into your target range. All right. So getting the banking piece, the capital source committed in writing with dollars, rates, terms, all of this covenants, all of the specificity to it is the most important thing you can do right now. If you're, if we're not talking about exiting the business, if you're going to, if you're going to just stay where you are in the business and not grow it, then fine. If you're going to exit the business, that's a different conversation. If your intent is to continue growing the business in the coming years, you have to get the capital source committed in writing. That is the most important thing. The second thing after that is that you have to assume that you are going to have a target-rich environment in the next 12 to 24 to 36 months. That means developing and preparing your integration team 
for after you've acquired these practices, how do you integrate them into your core practice? That doesn't happen on its own. You have to have an integration team to do that. So getting your operational house in order beyond just your capital source, your operational team is critically important. Now is the time to be thinking about that. The third thing you need to do is start a process where you begin to develop your pipeline of targets of opportunity, all right? And this is a much lengthier conversation, but it is identifying all the practices in your geography and starting to identify some of the characteristics about those practices, as well as whether or not you know that business owner uh, or if you know somebody who knows them, it could make an introduction on your behalf. That is the initial phase of pipeline development. We talk about all of that in our, our master class that's called mergers, acquisitions, and affiliations. There is one coming up in the coming weeks. I think we may actually have two before the end of the calendar year. But if you're if you're interested in doing a, a deep dive over about a day and a half um, in a class of about 10 people and you want to learn more about you know, acquisitions, acquisitions with equity role, pipeline development, due diligence, uh, a whole lot of other stuff, um, legal structures and everything like that, um, then consider spending time in our masterclass as a catalyst to executing your growth strategy in 2023. Really, this is the time to, to get your house in order from a capital sourcing standpoint. That's the banking piece. Again, Commitment in writing with available funds, all terms and covenant structures outlined, knowing how the game is played, um, getting your integration team set to be able to integrate the practices and the beginning phases of general pipeline development to execute in 2023. If you do that, you're going to be ready to push gas when the opportunities come up in 2023 and, and beyond that. And that's what you're looking to do. This is going to be the next phase of growth for the people who are prepared for it. Maybe not to the degree that 2021 was in the M&A markets, because that was just kind of a crazy type of a year. But if we go back to historical norms pre-pandemic, this is going to be another one of those buying opportunities for the people who are in our core audience. And I cannot impress upon you enough that it's not going to happen if you're not intentional about it. Take the time right now to get your house in order. All Everything I've just laid out for you in this episode is stuff we do with our clients all the time. Uh, if you need um, uh, you know, somebody to take a second pass at your banking documents, John Paul is our growth capital specialist. He's a recovering healthcare banker, worked for a handful of the large name brand banks that you know, knows loan structures, covenant structures, and can size up financials with the best of them. JP can spend 30 minutes on the phone with you going through top to bottom where you stand. This is the time to think about it. Think about it long and hard uh, because you are going to have opportunities that come your way in the coming year. You want to be prepared for it. This will be the first of two episodes. The next one we'll talk about using equity as leverage and build upon the principles we've had today. I, ho I hope you found this to be helpful and to a degree enlightening though. Stick around, I'll be right back with some additional thoughts to wrap up the show. Thanks everybody once again for joining me on the show today. I've, I might've gone a little bit long in that prior segment. Um, 
uh, unintentionally, but I think this is really kind of important stuff with where we find ourselves, macroeconomic look things, as well as, you know, kind of end of year, getting ready for, for 2023 and, and getting the house in order. And we've, we've gotten a lot of questions around the banking piece as of late. So I'm, I'm trying to be responsive to some of the inquiries that we have, but also be substantive to some of y'all who are in the audience who are just trying to build your your body of knowledge too. So um, hopefully a, a confluence of events, but and you get a lot out of the, the um, things we share in the show. To wrap up today, I want to uh, give a, a real quick recap on our um, scaling from clinician to CEO event in Denver. Uh, we did that in conjunction with the Dental Success Institute, Mark, Dr. Mark Costas and his group, uh, who were excellent to work with. Um, and, and the feedback we've gotten from the audience on a lot of the surveys we sent out has is, is frankly been really amazing. They A lot of people raved about the conference, um, the content that we shared, the presenters that were there. Mark and I probably did about seven of the, I don't know, 12 to 14 presentations in total. So we carried about 50% of it between the two of us. But, you know, it was, I think the content was very well targeted at the audience that was probably in the, you know, call it one to eight range in terms of locations, I would say. So these are the emerging groups, probably most of them have not centralized yet. And a lot of the the things that we shared uh, were very impactful. The net promoter scores that we've gotten on this conference are about 9.7, which frankly exceeded my expectations. I thought the conference would be good, but the the reviews we've gotten back uh, have been beyond what I would have thought. And um, net promoter score, for those who don't know, is the the question of on a scale of one to ten how likely would you be to recommend this conference to a friend or colleague? One being low, 10 being high, and and all of them have been 10s. There've been a few nines and maybe like one eight or something like that. But it, the really the response was was top shelf. And, and I, that makes me feel good that we hit the mark with what we wanted to share and that the audience, the target audience that we identified ahead of time. Um, the reason I bring up Denver is because it really was a, a, a great conference for us kind of, you know, at Polaris being our first venture into something on that larger scale. And we're very grateful for the relationship with Mark and his team. We are going to do another one next year. More than likely, it will be in the fall, scaling from clinician to CEO. We don't know the city. We don't know the date, probably in October, around the same time, though. Um, that Information will be forthcoming. We're trying to develop our 2023 calendar. We got a lot of questions from people who couldn't attend this one in terms of when's the next one going to be and, and trying to plan on it. Um, so probably going to be in the fall. I think we're going to do a conference in the spring that will build off of the knowledge that we shared at scaling from clinician to CEO. So if you think about scaling from clinician to CEO as maybe the 101 level course or something like that, um, the, the, the conference we end up doing in the spring might be like a 201 level course. It might be um, a, a deeper dive into you know, things that help you move the business from four to 10 locations or, or something along those lines. And, and I think um, we're, we're trying to do this from an educational journey standpoint for many of y'all. Um, we, as you well know, it takes us a long time to, to build a lot of this content. For those of you who've seen our presentations, you know how thick they are. Um, I do most of them and that's a really heavy lift. Between you, me and the fence post, I'm trying not to recreate 
or I'm trying not to have to create new content every time we do something because it's a, a heavy lift. So um, all of that being said, for those of you in the audience, if there are topics or questions or things that you would like to see a presentation on, I would really love to get some feedback from y'all on what some of the subject matter is that you're uh, that you're looking for, uh, education that you're lacking, things like that, it might help us. We got a good idea on what 201 would look like, but we don't have 100% of it. So I would love to take some feedback from the audience. You can always send me an email with things like that uh, at Perrin at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Perrin is P-E-R-R-I-N at PolarisHealthcarePartners.com. Or you can send me any other questions about the show or anything else. Happy to help in any way that we can. Really appreciate everybody being in the audience and being a subscriber and a listener. We'll see you on the next episode.